truth from this passage. And I know we can always grow and learn together. And, uh, and, I, and I hope that uh, this message would, would be a blessing to you. If you still need the notes, if you've not received the notes, you just raise your hand and the ushers will get those notes uh, right to you. And, uh, and that way you can follow along. It's just a way uh, to be able to follow along with the message and maybe write some things that God will speak to you about. And, uh, and that way it'll be something personal that you can write there. So Isaiah chapter number six, and I believe in your notes, only the first eight verses are there. We'll be looking at the whole chapter, but we'll just read the first uh, eight uh, verses and then uh, and then we'll pray and and uh, hear a special and then go right uh, into the message once again. So Isaiah chapter number six, verse number one says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. One cried out unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and your truth. Thank you, Father, for the life of Isaiah, who was a prophet that has much to teach us about vision. And I pray that this morning as we, as we learn about what it means to have biblical vision in, my, in our lives and how to sow that in our lives, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in a, in a very close and personal way. I pray that your spirit would uh, highlight and show us areas in our lives that perhaps we haven't had the right kind of vision in. And I pray that you would uh, mold us and, and, and help us to be more uh, Christ-like in the vision that we have and in the life that we live. I pray that the truths of this passage would be something that would not only challenge us this morning, but encourage us and motivate us as we move forward in our Christian life. And I pray that you would just speak to each and every one of us now. Pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that as I preach this message, I'd be able to communicate it clearly and that I'd be able to, Father, share uh, what you have shown me and what you have spoken to me about. I pray that it would be a help to someone here this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Yeah. 
footprint shows you can know his will each day. Will each day trust his word. Trust his word. All God's promises are true. Trust his word. When you're plagued with doubts and fears, trust his word. He is not a distant stranger. He can be your closest friend, and he'll always listen closely when you share your heart with him. Jesus walks a path beside you. step is weak and your strength is almost gone almost gone trust his word trust his word all God's promises are true trust his word trust his word when your pathway His word. Trust His word. Trust His Biblical vision. That's what I want to speak about this morning. Biblical vision. But what is vision? Well, according to Google, if you look up the definition, it can be defined as a mental image of what the future could or will be like. You see, it's not merely seeing things as they are, but seeing what they can be. That's what vision is. It's not just seeing what is the present, but what the future looks like, what the future can be. It is being aware of the possibilities and the promises of the future. Yet, if you're going to have vision, it is going to require some certain understanding of what the present is. Uh, without understanding a little bit of the present, you won't really understand or be able to see what the future will be like. It, it really is dependent upon the present, and then as you understand the present, you can begin to have a vision of what the possibilities are for the future. And that's what vision really comes down to, is seeing what the future can be. Now this morning in your notes, I had placed a little bit of a, of a picture, a small little picture to go with your notes. Some of you may have gotten it, maybe not uh, everyone. But if you can place uh, a picture there uh, on the screens and you'll see that in this picture, uh, there is uh, 
uh, two ways to look at it. Uh, now, there you can see, first of all, an old uh, lady sort of looking a little bit uh, somber. You can look at a, a lady with a bit of a longer nose and a, and a, and a little bit of a, of a sadder face. How many can see that in the picture? Does anyone see that? All right, so it's not just me. All right, or you might see a young lady turning away. You can see a young lady maybe looking behind her with a feather in her in her cap and some fur as a fur coat. Does anybody see that picture? All right, some of us, all right. Some of y'all maybe saw none of it. Some of y'all maybe saw only one of those. And really, the picture that was given to you uh, is called a primer, all right? And it's supposed to make you see something. They highlight it really clearly, either the old lady or the young lady. They highlight it really clearly in the primer. So depending on which one you got, you'll see more clearly. And then this is the picture that they show you afterwards. And uh, really, the, the point of this exercise with the people that have come up with this little test is just to see what your what they call paradigm or point of view is. What is it that you see? And you can see both sides depending on really what you were primed to look at, primed of what to see. And vision is a much like that. Vision has a lot to do with what is it that I'm seeing and then what can be projected from what I am seeing. This morning as we study this passage of Isaiah chapter 6, we find a prophet that is given a vision by God. A young man who is early in his ministry, perhaps the, the really the first major experience of his ministry that, that he has, and, and he shares that with us. And I believe that Isaiah wrote this, and by the Spirit of God being controlled, writing down uh, this passage and this experience shows us a lot about the vision and the type of vision that we are to have in our life. You see, Isaiah was a... A, uh, a prophet, a man that had a ministry for more than 50 years. It was, uh, it was, uh, he was a man that was faithful in his vision and his calling to do what God had called him to do. And we, we find in this, uh, in this passage uh, what really uh, started him off in 50 years of ministry, really more than 50 years of ministry. What was it that, that really got him going? What, what vision it was that, that he felt his calling that really motiva- motivated him to move forward? And I, I believe that in, in this passage we find just that very experience. And Isaiah shares that with us. And the Spirit of God wanted him to write that as uh, uh, Holy Scripture so that we might learn this morning what it means to have biblical vision in our life. You see, just like Isaiah needed vision in his life for his ministry, you and I need God's vision in our life if we are going to fulfill what God has called us to do, what God has created us to do. Let me ask this morning, uh, as you think about what vision is, uh, to think about what does vision entail? What does a biblical vision look like? I believe this morning we can find in this passage three elements of what a biblical vision entails. Notice with me, first of all, that it entails something that is heavenly. Something that is heavenly. You see in verse number one, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I also, I saw, he says, also the Lord sitting upon a throne. We find that first thing that uh, Isaiah sees in this vision is the Lord. He sees him sitting on his throne high and lifted up. And the Bible says, and his train filled the temple. We find that a biblical vision starts uh, with a, a element of, of a heavenly element. Now this means that it must be god focused. 
any true biblical vision must be God focused. You see, Isaiah's vision began with a clear focus on God himself. He shares with us that uh, he saw as he was worshiping in the temple, he saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Now, this speaks to the place that God is to occupy. You see, Isaiah saw God not as one that was around a throne, not as God being a part of what was going on. No, God was that uh, in that seat that, that gave him the, the priority, the power, the primacy of who he was, of his position. He says, I saw God on his throne. Any true biblical vision will start with a God focus of where God is to be. You see, God is to have the throne because he is on the throne, because he is the king of kings. Now, being the king of kings that God is, we must view him as such. We must view him as being the one that is on the throne. See, God is to have the supreme place in our lives if we are to be God focused. This morning, if you are going to have a right biblical vision for your life, you must understand, I must stop seeing God as just the guy that's my neighbor, as just the guy that's upstairs, that guy that's differently or, or in a distant place, or that guy that sort of helps me out when I get into a, in a problem or in a pickle. No, God is more than just that guy. No, God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God is that who is on the throne. He is the one that is above all things. He is the one that should have the primacy in our life. In fact, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus was te teaching his disciples that very vision that Isaiah had many, many years before, and it was this, that God is on the throne. It's a heavenly vision. It's a heavenly element of the biblical vision to understand that God is the one uh, who should be above all things, that God should be what we seek first and what we seek most in our lives. You know, the average Christian today places God merely as one who is there in an advisory role. You know what I mean? He's just a guy that you sort of ask, uh, what do you think about that? Okay, well, I don't really agree with that, God, so maybe I'm going to do it my way, and, and if you could just bless me or help me along the way, then that'll be okay. Uh, we, we sometimes relegate, and the average Christian has done that today, we relegate God to just an advisory role. We don't really see him as the God on the throne of our life. He's just the God that helps us while we sit on that throne. And a biblical vision is one that, that really places God above all things, that really makes their life focused on who God is, the position and the place that God should occupy. You see, we find that if, if we are to do that, it would change so many things. You see, we see this lived out so many times in Christians' life when they place God first, that they never have a problem tithing. One who has a biblical vision and knows that God is the one on the throne really understands that's why I give. I don't give because I'm scared that something's going to happen to me. I don't give so that good things will come my way. I don't give so that I can get richer. That's not why I give at all. I give because God is on the throne. Because he is worthy, because he deserves my all, because he is on the throne of my life. You see, I'm God-focused, and that lives itself out through what I give. 
You can see that lived out in the way in which we witness to others. Anyone that has a right God-focused life understands that what I want to talk about most and share with others most is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with talking about the weather, and there's really nothing wrong talking about work or talking about uh, uh, the game and not, uh, nothing wrong talking about so many other subjects. But let me just say that for the Christian, there's no greater thrill and there's no greater excitement than when you're sharing the gospel with someone else. I have noticed uh, that uh, when I've talked with, with, uh, with some here in our church that uh, are witnessing to someone at their workplace, man, uh, they, th- I have not had one person yet tell me, yeah, I just, I, I just told them that, you know, what the Lord said and they could have forgiveness. And Man, every time I've talked to someone here, uh, uh, whether it's been a Sunday school teacher or an usher or anyone, a member of our church, man, anytime they have an opportunity to talk, this is the way I always tell me, hey, brother, will you pray for my coworker? Pastor, it, it's just, I was talking to him on Friday, we got into just politics and stuff, and then somehow we, we started talking about the Bible, and, and I got to tell him about Jesus. Just, he didn't get to make a decision, but just pray for him. I want to keep talking to him. Man, there, there's an excitement there. There's, there's something that just, just, it pumps you up, it motivates you, it gets you going. You see, someone with a biblical vision has that kind of focus in their life. They have that God focus, the, the focus of, of the primacy that God is on his throne. And because of that, I give what I have. Because of that, I tell others about him. Because of that, you see it lived out in the friendships in which we choose. It always amazes me that there, there's the average Christian that his uh, best friend doesn't really go to church. His best friend really doesn't uh, pray with him or with her. Their best friend is, is one that uh, sometimes uh, hears the Bible but sometimes doesn't or does, has a somewhat of a lukewarm spirit when it comes to anything spiritual. And what it tells me is that Perhaps they don't have the God-focused vision that they ought to have. Perhaps they're just seeing God as just their little friend, but not as the God that sits on the throne. You see, if you're going to have a biblical vision in your life, it starts with seeing God on the throne as something that is God-focused. But then we also see that it's something that is God-filled. It's God-filled. If you continue reading, you'll read in verse number 4, the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. The smoke was a symbol of God's presence. When you look at Revelation 15, 8, it says, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple. And when God's presence is there, it fills that temple. And when we have a right focus in our life, when we have the right heavenly vision in our life, you'll find that God's presence will fill all of your life. You'll notice that Isaiah didn't say it only filled the part where he was sitting at, but it says it filled the whole temple. There wasn't one room that was not filled with that smoke. When you read about when the temple was dedicated, when King Solomon built that first temple, you see in 1 Kings chapter 8, in verse number 10, it says, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house 
of the Lord. You see, this cloud was something that didn't just fill the main sanctuary, but it filled the Sunday school classrooms, and it filled the whole area of the building and the, and the room closets and the cleaning closets. It just filled the whole temple where the priest said, man, there's nowhere we can stay. we got to get out because the presence of God filled that place. Now, a person with a biblical vision, a Christian with a biblical vision in their life, has the presence of God fill every area of their life. In other words, they're not a Christian today on Sunday morning acting one way and then going to school or going to work on Monday and being something totally different. That's when smoke only goes to one area of your life, but the other room is no presence at all. We find that one with a heavenly vision, one with the right vision, is one that has God's presence in every area of his life. It must extend to every part. We must not have a church life and then a work life and then a home life, and all of those are different. No. Now, in role, they're different. Obviously, uh, the way you... Um, uh, the way you get ready for work, and maybe perhaps you have to use a uniform to go to work, is not really what you wear all day at home. No, uh, the, the, there are different characteristics, but let me just say, in essence, we ought to be the same whether we're at home, whether we're at work, or whether we're at school, or wherever we're at. God's presence should be seen by others in our life. We, we ought to have that kind of, of vision in our life. We ought to be able to have that kind of presence in our life. Jesus said it this way to his disciples in Luke 6, 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That was something that says, you're not letting me fill all of your life. Yeah, you want to say, I got a God-focused life, but you're not letting me fill every area of your life. That's why Paul wrote this in, Col in Colossians 3, 10 and 11. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. For there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or, nor free, but Christ is in all and uh, is all and in all. Paul said, listen, someone that has the right kind of vision in their life understands that God is part of all of their life. God should affect every area of our life. He ought to affect uh, uh, the entertainment that we have in our life. He ought to uh, affect what we love in our life. He ought to affect what we pursue in life. I like what Amy Carmichael wrote when she was in India. She was a great missionary uh, woman, and she wrote this. Blessed are the single-hearted, for they shall enjoy much peace. If you refuse to be hurried and pressed, if you stay your soul on God, nothing can keep you from that clearness of spirit, which is life and peace. In that stillness, you know what his will is. One that has God on the focus knows what his will is. God who, uh, I mean, one who has uh, that, that, that God-filled life knows this is the life I should live. And it brings peace and it brings joy into their life. You show me a Christian that is bitter and, and unhappy, and I'll show you a, a Christian that has the total wrong vision in his life. And by the way, the Bible speaks of many like that. The Bible says that Lot vexed his righteous soul, being in Sodom and Gomorrah. There came a point in Lot's life where God stopped being the focus of his life. God, uh, Lot, though he was righteous man, though he was, there was a time in his life when he was trying to do what God wanted for him to do, got vexed in his soul because of Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, he took God off the throne and put himself there instead.
he lost what his life was all about. As a result, he lost his wife. He lost his daughters. He lost everything he had. Simply because he lost his vision. This morning, can I encourage you, have a biblical vision that starts with something heavenly. One that sees that God is the focus of my life. One that uh, has God's presence filling me in every area of my life. Isaiah saw it and it moved him. It sustained him for 50 plus years in ministry. Let me tell you something. In 2017, if you're going to continue in 2018 what God has done here in 2017, then you better get a heavenly vision. You better get the right vision in your life or it won't be long before 2019 comes and you're no longer in the pews. You're no longer in that Sunday school class. You're no longer doing what God has called you to do. We find that the first element that we see in a biblical vision is something that is heavenly. Secondly, something that is humble. Humble. Notice what Isaiah said after being seen, uh, after experiencing this, after seeing God on his throne. He said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I want you to notice, first of all, that it was repentance. A biblical vision that is humble is one that brings a heart of repentance. You see, Isaiah, immediately upon seeing God on his throne, was aware of his own sinful condition. He was reminded of his faults and of his failures, of his own unholiness. You see, he could not remain the same. He could not remain unchanged by what the presence of, the God, of God brought into his life. Isaiah said, man, I see God on his throne. And as I see him on his throne, as I see his holiness, as I am filled with his presence in my life, I'm aware of my own shortcomings. That's why he said, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. You see, Isaiah saw his flaws and, fa flaws and failures. Isaiah saw for himself what he really needed was to be moved to be repentant of his sinful condition. Can I say that repentance is always the result of seeing God on the throne? There hasn't been one person who's come to repentance to God who's not seen him and must see him as the God of the universe, as the God of salvation, as the God that is on the throne. Think about any person that you've witnessed to. They've had to confess this, that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. That Jesus is that who, uh, King of kings and Lord of lords. That who gave himself for us. Every person that comes to repentance must see God on his throne. You see, a Christian who can sin continually and not come back for cleansing in his life is one who has a wrong vision in his life. Is one who's lost that God focus and that uh, God filled life. It's one uh, who's lost the, the humility of seeing himself before God. One who is like that will be quick to talk about his works. You'll find that one uh, who is, is lacking in humility will, will tell you all about a, what he does at his church and tell you all about his good works that he does, does 
during the week and what he did for God in the past year, in the past two years. And, and I'm not saying we ought not to share what God is doing, but let me just say, if that's all you can focus on and you can never focus on what God is teaching you and how God is humbling you and what God is growing you to be, then let me just tell you, you have a wrong vision. You have a vision that is unrepentant. A vision doesn't see yourself for who you are. You, you want to talk about how great you are and great accomplishments and ta- instead of talking about what God has done through you and how, God, how great God has been for you. You see, one who has that element of humility can see himself for what he is. Revelation chapter 2, when uh, Christ is talking to the church of Ephesus, he said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first work. He said, the problem with you uh, Christians at Ephesus is that uh, you, you do have good works, and you have this labor of love, but you know what? You don't love me. It's all about you. And you know that you can become a Christian this morning that goes and teaches a Sunday school class and have it all be about you and not about God. You say, but I, I taught uh, the, the young kids, I taught them uh, the, the, the verse, I taught them good Christian songs. Yeah, but you can still have the attitude of all about you. Oh, the content might be good, but the attitude could be terrible. Because you have a wrong vision. Isaiah said, man, I saw God on the throne. And I said, woe is me. It led him to a heart of repentance, a heart that said, man, I'm, I, I need more of God. I need less of me. I have unclean lips. I, I, I want you to notice that in Revelation chapter 3, and if you read those churches as church ages and as prophecy, that means that the last church age is the Laodicean church. And here's what it says about them in verse 17. Because, Christ said, because thou sayest I am rich, and increased with goods and had need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He said, be zealous therefore and repent. You know what Christ was telling those Christians at Laodicea? Don't forget that I'm on the throne. And as you see me on the throne, don't forget who you are. You must understand this morning, a biblical vision is one that has humility, that leads one to repentance. You know, we see this played out in the fact many times that we can go weeks without reading God's word, without really witnessing to someone, without ever really spending meaningful time in prayer and never really feel bad about it. That just means you have really too high of a level of who you think you are. Oh, God ought to bless me because look how much I'm a help to him. Just say that God doesn't need our help. He allows us to serve him. But God could do everything he needs by himself if he wanted. God did not need to create us. God was 100% fulfilled without us. You know, well then why did he create us? Because he's God. And let me just say, I'm sort of glad that he created me. I've enjoyed my life. I've really enjoyed the blessings of God in my life. It's not about me. It's just about him. It's 
it's pretty awesome when you have that vision in your life, when you have that, that focus of who God is on the throne, man, it really, it really can humble you. I love reading articles, and, and I won't go through them, but there's so many articles of how these scientists think they're so smart. And it's all up to us to save our planet. And God goes, uh-huh, sure. If you've ever read up on Biosphere, you can read it on Biosphere 2 and 3. And, and they, they, they created this little, because we know how our ecosystem works, and we're so smart, and we're so creative, and we're so great, that they create their own little ecosystem, and they couldn't. It was, I think, two, over $200 million that they invested in this facility, and they couldn't run it for more than 30 days. In fact, I don't think they could run it for more than a week, if I remember something like that. So great. Such a high sort of view of ourselves. Before we just condemn those that don't know God that have that high-mindedness, let me just remind you that sometimes as Christians, we can have that high-mindedness. If you're not careful, you can lose that repentant spirit. That's why at the end of Job's trials, he said, I have heard thee by hearing of ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job recognized, man, there, there's just more to God than I know. And I need more of God in my life. But notice, not only is it one that is repentant, but it is one that is reliant. You have that biblical vision, at least that humility, that important element of that vision that makes you reliant. You see, Isaiah's vision was one that made him more dependent upon God. He knew he could not resolve his sin problem on his own. He didn't see the, the throne and didn't see the presence of God and, 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 and confess, I'm a man of unclean lips. Let me, let, me, uh, let me go and clean this. Let me go and do this. Let me give all my money to the poor. Let me, let me do some good work. You know, he didn't do any of that. You know what it says as you read there in Isaiah chapter 6, after he confesses, woe is me, I am undone. It says, in verse number six, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, lo, this has touched thy lips and thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. You know who did that? God. Isaiah had to be reliant that it was God that was going to forgive me. It was God that was going to clean my lips. It was God that was going to clean my life. It's God that's going to turn me around. You see. Today it is imperative that we be reliant on God. We cannot bring change to our home. We can't bring change to our, our workplace. You can't bring change to your school without having God's filling in your life. You can't have it without being reliant upon the Spirit of God in your life. You see, that is what enables you to do what God is calling you to do. That's why Zechariah the prophet wrote, Then he answered and spake unto me, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Let me just say, we are not going to change who we are. We're not going to change our work uh, makes. We're not going to change our classmates until we are changed ourselves by the spirit of God. Until we ourselves are dependent upon that spirit. Jesus told the disciples, without me, ye can do nothing. One with a biblical vision sees who God is on his throne. He sees who I am and, and, and in humility repents and in humility relies on the spirit of God, on the power of God for their life. But I want you to notice the third element, not only a, a heavenly element, not only a, a humble element, but a hopeful element. 
The last of the biblical visions is that which is hopeful. I want you to notice in Isaiah chapter 6 as he continues to uh, talk about this uh, vision that he experienced. He says in verse 9, and, and he said, and this is God telling him, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without men, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath removed men far away, and there will be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Now, this of the hopeful, uh, this hopeful vision, this, this part, this element is something that is, is so crucial for us to understand. You see, Isaiah was given a call and he was given a message to go and tell the people. And let me just say, it wasn't going to be an easy thing to accomplish. In fact, this vision was hopeful in spite of rejection. It was hopeful in spite of rejection. You see, it was a, a difficult task that he was called to. God himself told Isaiah, listen, not many will hear. Not many will receive. Many will reject it. Many are not going to accept it. Many will ridicule you. Many will laugh at you. Many will ignore you. Many will mock you. Many will scorn you. Many will hate you. Many will subvert you. But I want you to go. Isaiah was going to a people there that God said they're going to hear, they're, they're hear you, but they're not going to listen. They're not going to understand. They're going to see you, but they're going to be as blind. Seeing what God is doing in your life, seeing what God is telling them to do and how to change, they're going to be blind. And by the way, if you read chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Isaiah and chapter 9, he goes to the king Ahaz and he tells him, King, if you just rely on God, God will protect your kingdom. God will protect Israel. God will, will be the one that blesses Israel. And Ahaz said, nope. And he went to the king of Assyria for protection. And he went to the king of Assyria. And you know what happened after that? Judah was invaded and Israel was destroyed. Simply saying this morning that you're going to have to have a vision that is hopeful in spite of rejection. In spite of those that are not going to really uh, praise you for doing what you're doing. It might be a young person that at school tomorrow as you pray at lunch or as you read your Bible that a teacher may come and say, well, you can't do that here. Hey, we don't want that here. God needs to be left out somewhere else. That you might have to stand alone and say, well, I'm just going to stand with the word of God. By the way, that's what the theme is all about this year. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. It's about standing on truth. It's about standing for what is right. I believe it was last year or a year before there in Lancaster, a little elementary student was given a, a, a detention, I think even suspended, because he shared with his first grade classmate a verse that he was learning at church. I'm thankful for a little first grader that goes to school saying, I want to share a verse with my friend at, at school. Would to God that there would be some teenagers that had that kind of heart, that had that kind of vision, a first grader's vision of saying, man, i got to share something with someone. Something more than just what happened in the game last night. Something like that really matters. But Isaiah's vision was going to be taken and rejected. God reminded Isaiah, this that I give you might not be taken so well. Can I just connect that to nowadays? Nowadays, it might be that at work, 
No one really wants to hear you sing. No one really wants to hear you uh, uh, give scripture. No, no one really wants you to share with them the gospel. Can I encourage you to share anyway? Sing anyway? Memorize anyway? Quote anyway? Read anyway? I'm telling you the Christians today, we need to have a better vision than the vision we've had. We need to have a greater vision than the vision that we've had. You say, well, it's going to be rejected. I know, but you still go. God told Isaiah, I, I, I know, listen, but go and tell this people. They're not going to hear you, but preach to them anyway. They're not going to accept it, but give it to them anyway. Jesus said in the New Testament, Matthew 10, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. John 15, 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you, Jesus told his disciples. I like what John 17, 14 said, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You know what happens to Christians so many times? Is that we miss the, the element of the hopefulness of this vision that God has given us, and we think somehow we're part of this world. Now let me just say, I'm as patriotic and I feel as much love for this country as I can. I think you ought to stand and put your hand over your heart when the national anthem is being played. I don't think you ought to kneel down. I think that's disrespectful to the flag. I think that's unpatriotic. I was taught growing up that you stand at attention to the flag. It's your country. It's a nation that's provided you the liberties and the freedoms that you have. But you know that above being an American citizen, we are ambassadors of Christ. And so many times we can get so offended by what the NFL is doing to our flag and what the liberals are doing to our politics that we get so fired up for that, but we could care less about what they say about Christ on the entertainment that we watch. And they, they, they could, we could care less about what they say about taking the Bible out of our schools. And we just sort of, oh, okay, okay, I'm not so bad. Okay. What are those that will stand like Daniel and say, well, that's okay. I'm doing it anyway. Where are those that will be like those three friends of Mishael and, 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 and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that say, you know what, uh, if you throw us in the fire, king, so be it. But we're not going to bow down to the things of this world. Where are those that have that vision? Where are those that will stand and, and say, listen, I, I know it might be rejected, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful in this vision. You say, well, why is he so hopeful if, if he's been told that it's going to be rejected? Because I want you to read in verse 13, and it's this, that there is a substantive reality, a substantive truth there. And it's this. Look in verse 13 of Isaiah 6. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. You know what the hopeful part of this message was? Is that, yes, it may be rejected by many, but there's some that will accept it. Isaiah's vision would be rejected by many, but it would be received by some. It would not all be in vain. It would not all be unfruitful. It would not all be that everyone hates me and everyone is scorning me. No, there would going to be some, some glimpses of light there, some glimpses of truth in his life. Those that would see that vision and follow after him. Can I say we are not to get discouraged in giving this vision of hope? 
It may be that many in your workplace uh, may not, will not hear or may not like to hear, but there might be one or two that will. I love that, that old hymn that says, For if just one more soul will, uh, uh, were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle. It would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. How about that song that says it will be worth it all when we see Jesus? I'm simply saying that there is something hopeful in this vision. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be received by all, but it will be received by some. You know, as I was studying this message, I couldn't think about, I couldn't help but think about just those in our church who came not because of the first time someone talked to them, but because of the second and the third and the fourth. I was thinking of uh, Brother Chevy. I, I, a few years ago, got to interview him and his, and his wife, and, and now he's an usher today in our morning service, but first time he came to our church and he said oh all churches are the same and we were having our missions conference and he said oh the, those churches all they want is money and and that's all they think about and that's all they care about and that's all they really want from us and and he left that Sunday morning said, I'm not going to go back to that place but I'm thankful for a wife that said hey let's go back again let's try it again a few weeks later he came back and then he came back again and then he got his life right then he has, saw God on the throne, and he, he humbled himself, and now suddenly there's a hopeful message and a biblical vision in his life, and, and now he's serving today. And let me say, I could say that story for many of you that are here on the benches right now. It's just something that says, man, there, there, there's something bigger to live for than for men. This kicked off Isaiah's vision to something greater. I'll remind you what Galatians 6, 9 says. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Today we are faced with a need for sowing a biblical vision in our lives. Christians must follow a, a greater calling than that of the world. That which we follow is something that is eternal and unchanging. It is something that is honest and helpful. It is something that is true and faithful. Helen Keller said, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but no vision. Problem many times in our churches is that we have pathetic Christians. Sight but no vision. Look at ourselves as something great. But we never see that who should be on the throne. And I encourage you this morning to be a Christian with biblical vision. To be a Christian who follows after Christ. Who has that heavenly element of him on the throne. Who has the humble element of saying, I am nothing without Christ. And one who has that hopeful element that says, someone needs to hear about this. Someone needs this. At work, someone needs this at school, someone needs this in my family. I want to encourage you this morning be one of biblical vision. May God help and lead our church to be those Christians which reach our city and our world.
with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and and thank you for, for that right vision. A vision that our world needs desperately today. Oh, but Father, how shall they hear without one that will go and tell them? Father, I think of the people that were living in the day of Isaiah. How could they hear if he decided not to go and tell? If he did not have that spirit that said, here am I, send me. What would have happened with that generation? What would have happened with those people? That few remnant that we're going to hear and we're going to receive and we're going to be changed by the power of that message. What would it have been of them? Father, I think of us this morning. What would be of our workplaces if we were just to be people of greater vision? Oh, how that could change our home. How that could change our personal life. How that could change the life of, of others, even strangers that we don't know at this time. If we could just have that heart and that vision Oh, how different things can be. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to have that kind of vision. I pray that you would help us this morning to have a a heart that would follow after you wholeheartedly. See you on that throne. Be be focused. Oh, Father, I pray that you would just work in our hearts. Work in that your spirit would show us areas in our life where maybe we've lost the vision. Maybe this morning it's just time to get back on the right vision and stick to that biblical vision that was given to us that we may fulfill our calling. We must remember and that we would begin to live like we are living the high calling for which we are called in Christ Jesus. Pray that you would help us even this morning to apply that into our lives. Speak to us, Father. Move us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, can you hear me? Good? Okay. Um, Usher's meeting today is at 5 p.m. As we stand to our feet, just three announcements real quick. Uh, if you are an usher and you're here this morning, just to remind you that this afternoon at 5 p.m. there is an usher's meeting in room 10. And also tonight, before we go into the youth conference, there will be the Lord's Supper here in the main sanctuary. So we will actually begin here, if I'm not mistaken, Pastor Jeremy, is that still correct? Uh, we will begin here in the sanctuary tonight. So when you come tonight for the youth conference, don't go straight to room 3. Come here first because we will be celebrating the Lord's table. And then we will be uh, splitting up then for the for the youth uh, revival. And so I do want to mention that to, to end that uh, the youth revival will be going on here the next few nights. And so uh, not only participating for those of you that are at that age group, but also for all of us to be praying that God's uh, word would do a 